0: Hey Bulls Nation, welcome to part two of our 2021 Chicago Bulls season preview here on the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host Matt Gentile and in part one we had Rob Schaefer on from NBC Sports Chicago. It's great to get his insight from everything he heard at training camp and to get his thoughts just on how he thinks this regular season is going to go for the Bulls. But here in part two we're going to take a little bit of a different approach Doug Tonus, the podfather, is going to join us to give his thoughts on the Bulls, but also do some predictions. We'll do some over-unders on different types of stats, numbers, and, of course, the win total for the Bulls this season. One of the best things about having Doug on any episode of a podcast, you're also going to hear some great stories from his time blogging and podcasting about the Bulls. Bulls Beat's been around, I think, since... 2004 2005 and doug has been a major part of the blogging and podcasting community he of course took some time away from his podcast but recently came back and is doing episodes again regularly which is always a great thing i'll say this the bulls podcasting world is better when doug tonis is in it that's for sure so it's awesome to have him back doing things regularly again before we get to him, though, I do want to talk about some things that have happened in the last 24 hours. First, Noah Vonleh, who the Bulls brought in really as a training camp body with maybe an opportunity to earn a spot on the roster. He was released after testing positive for COVID-19. And we also heard earlier Tuesday that six players will not be traveling to Oklahoma City for the next preseason game. And I think it's a reminder to us Bulls fans, and really to all NBA fans, that this is what the season is going to be like in a unbubbled environment. We're going to see cases like this where things like contact tracing might limit the number of guys that are in the rotation every night, uh, it could take big hits to the roster, and certainly could postpone or, or cancel certain games throughout the season. Now, we haven't gotten there yet during this preseason slate, but I think that... What you you saw in the last roughly 36 hours with Noah Vonley and then six players being held back for likely contact tracing reasons, that this, this could happen. This could be a regular occurrence throughout the NBA in 2021, at least in the early portion of the season. We've seen it in other pro sports, Major League Baseball, the NFL. They've all had these instances being outside of a bubble. When the NBA had its restart, they restarted in a bubble and it prevented a lot of these issues from occurring. But now that they're outside that environment, I think we're going to see a lot more of of these instances like we saw uh, just with the Chicago Bulls in, in the last couple of days. Another tidbit I wanted to get to, if you've been a loyal listener to the Rebuildable podcast, you know that yours truly has been banging this certain drum since I started the podcast in April of 2019, I've always pointed to the summer of 2021 as the point where the Chicago Bulls needed to morph themselves into a viable situation that could potentially attract a star free agent. Well, if you've been paying attention, you know that that 2021 free agent class has been dwindling by the, the weeks. And on Tuesday, I think my dream officially got crushed when Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, signed a five-year extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, he does have an out after four years, but that's a long time from now, and you really don't want to bank on a guy opting out of his contract. But I think it, it kind of paints a, the picture that that 2021 free agent class is not going to be really a, a major solution where you can change the fortunes of your team. I guess my one message to Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, if they were listening, which I know they're not, but if they were, uh, I guess I would say to them, be flexible. Maintain that level of flexibility. Uh, Because one thing that I keep saying, I'm going to give my prediction on win total towards the end of the podcast with Doug, but I have this feeling the Chicago Bulls this season are going to finish in that playoff contending group somewhere around uh, 7 to 10 in the Eastern Conference. Like something tells me this year that there's going to be a very muddled group towards the bottom of the East. And I think the Chicago Bulls are going to be there. And I think they're going to be one of the teams that pulls away towards the end of the season. Because I think a lot of the guys like Kobe White, Wendell Carter Jr., I think under Billy Donovan, they're going to start to blossom late in the year towards the second half of the season and I think when that happens the Chicago Bulls could pull away and find themselves within that 10 to 7 position now what that means is if you whether or not you make the playoffs or not the probability of you having a high draft pick is gone you make the playoffs you won't be in the lottery you miss the playoffs if you're in that spot again 7 to 10 range and you lose one of the play-in games the probability of you getting a high pick is low. Could it happen? Sure. But again, is it probable? Is it very likely? No. So the Bulls are going to be in that position where nabbing a key prospect in the draft could be a little difficult. Now, of course, Arturus Karnaschovas' calling card is scouting. So you hope that he's able to find some diamonds in the rough late in the draft that could change the fortunes of the franchise. But you don't always want to bank on that. So I guess if I'm the Chicago Bulls, stay competitive, but stay flexible. Because guess that would be my only message. Stay flexible so when that player becomes available, likely in the trade market. And look, this is the NBA. Players will always be available. There will always be a big name or two that hit the market when you least expect it. And I just hope that the Chicago Bulls are ready, are willing and ready. Because I think adding through the draft... And developing the current players you have now is, is very important. But I think to take that next step to being a consistent playoff contender and then later a title contender, you're going to have to add somebody of note at some point. So I do hope that the Chicago Bulls remain flexible because my dream of the 2021 free agent signing with the Bulls, one of those big names, uh, it's pretty much all but but dead at this point. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get to our preview of the upcoming season and make some fun predictions with our guest today the host of the bullsby podcast and the co-host of the big red bus podcast the pod father doug tonis doug how you doing my friend you staying safe out there
1: thank you for having me on happy to be here uh, life couldn't be a whole lot better i guess that's a lie life could probably be a lot better at <laughs> this weird time but uh you know for me thankfully uh you know, it's gone as well as can be expected.
0: That's good to hear. And uh, it's such a loaded question nowadays just to ask people how they're doing. And I find myself with, with podcasts or even with just my friends, I add the qualifier, and I've brought it up on, on past episodes here. I add the qualifier, all things considered, I'm doing well. It's. I can't just say I'm. I'm good or I'm doing well. It's all things considered, I'm doing well. Yeah,
1: I, I guess I don't want to turn it into a COVID show, which we could easily no. do quickly. But uh, I. I think it's odd because actually my life in many ways has been better, uh, because of stay at home. I now work permanently remote forever, which uh, caused me to bring my show back because I have two and a half hours in my day back every day, and that's going to remain the same even after, uh, everything goes back to normal. So. I've gotten some, some meaningful benefits uh, that, are, that are permanent. So, you know, sometimes even in tragedy, uh, good things can happen to you. And I'm, I'm blessed that that is the case for myself.
0: Before we get to previewing some stuff, I actually wanted to ask you about that because, you know, you're, you're back doing this on a regular basis, podcasting. What made you want to get back into the swing of things? Was it just the time or did you kind of feel that itch again to start talking about the Bulls?
1: Uh, mainly just the time. You know, it's like I, I always have enjoyed talking about the Bulls. I never quite stopped, but the the production of the podcast was a little bit of extra work. And, you know, getting back like, I don't know, it's like 12 hours a week. You know, it just makes a, a really huge difference in types of things you can do. I also finished my MBA program not too long ago. It was about a year ago. So uh, that also chewed up just tons and tons of time. Uh, and so now it's like, man, I have a lot of time left. And it just felt like a good time to, to kind of really do some of these things I used to enjoy
0: you know you were doing this before podcasts were even fashionable or in vogue and now it seems like everybody's got a podcast, but what do you notice? is there any difference um, with podcasting now than you know when you were doing this about five six years ago uh, just
1: I guess the number of people out there doing it and how much better they all are than me uh, you know <laughs> like it's 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 like I've had my show forever and I, I know there's a lot of people who've enjoyed it and same with my blog when I had it but Man, the level of professionalism out there and how recognized podcasters are with more mainstream media is is a huge thing now. Like you get to interact with a lot of these guys from NBC Sports. You can get these guys on your show. You know, people mm-hmm. have really accepted podcasts. You know, a lot of guys that bring in lots of special guests. I mean, like I don't, I I'm lazy. I guess I just never managed to do any of these things. So uh, there's there's so many good options out there now, and it's it's just like a much higher bar than it used to be. I guess that's the great thing about being one of the first is, is the bar is very low to, uh, to be enjoyable.
0: I got to actually tell you something here. It, I think you were probably one of the first people that I listened to carefully and, and kind of learned how to talk to, to myself. And I'm not even joking when I say that. I had a college radio show and uh, I used to listen to your podcasts on train ride. In fact, I think I took the same line as you, Milwaukee District West line. Oh yeah, and, Wow. yeah, small world. No, and I actually tell the story to people. I had heard you mention on one of your podcasts that you were prepping an article on the train, and you said that you were in Schaumburg. I'm like, man, I wonder if he's on the same train as me. And like for a long time, I was always looking out for you to see if I could find you. <laughs> um, that sounds so creepy, but it I, it's all in innocence. I swear to God. Um, but no seriously though, like you had an art of just talking like to your to your audience. And I think that's a really cool skill to have. It's a little more reminiscent of a radio show than it is like that traditional podcast I think we hear nowadays. So it's almost like a lost art. It's a
1: little different for sure if you're doing something solo versus doing something with other people regularly. It's an adjustment and you really have to kind of prep enough topics to keep yourself going for 25 30 minutes. Without anyone else there to help fill in the gaps <laughs> or correct you when you screw stuff up, uh, but yeah, uh, it, it's it's fun. You know, I actually like doing it more with other people. But the time commitment and organizing of schedules and trying to get the audio synced and the quality good—some of the tools for that now are probably much better, and it's not a big deal. But that always became a huge issue. I used to do it with a few different people, and when I had a co-host, it was an extra—probably two hours, three hours of work in the editing room just trying to get everything working. And when I do it myself now, it's just. I hit record on my phone. I go for twenty five minutes. I post it five minutes later and I'm done. And you know, that's another reason why I can be back, even if it's maybe not always the quality I would like it to be, not to rip on myself too much, but uh, you know, it's it's convenient and easy. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely two different things.
0: You know, you had mentioned about access and, and getting people on from NBC Sports Chicago. I had Rob Schaefer on to do part one with me, previewing the Chicago Bulls. We just went through some of his observations through training camp. It was right before the preseason tilt started. Uh, we've gotten through two games against the Houston Rockets. So what are your initial thoughts, what you've seen in the first two preseason games? Anything really catch your eye so far?
1: I think the main thing that catches my eye and should catch everyone's eye on a positive bent is the play of Zach and, and Kobe. You know, I mean, these guys are collectively 50% from the three-point line. Uh, shooting the ball great, scoring a ton of points. I want to say it was 70 points on, I don't know, it's like 39 shots or something, whatever it was. I mean, it was just ridiculous, like very, very efficient. If they could do that for a season, man, you would have a superstar backcourt. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think that was a positive. Uh, You know, Patrick Williams looked okay. I think everyone really overreacted to how good he looked. I was not nearly as impressed as everyone else. But, yeah, it looked solid. I I don't have any negative thoughts about it. Just these rookies have had no time to do anything no summer league training camp is very short. So I didn't feel anything bad about it, but I I would just hold your horses on Patrick Williams a little bit. I think people just got a little overly excited there. And then really the most impressive thing to me was watching John Wall, which isn't really a, a bulls <laughs> thing, but I, I think like an Achilles is usually like just the death of a player. And John Wall looked like super legit out there. And so did well, Kevin Durant. So I think that's, I think that's pretty awesome for the league to be honest that, in these two guys who I thought just might kind of be done, like maybe they'll both actually be really, really good again. John Wall
0: looked faster than he did two years ago, and I think that's the the odd part to me because coming off an Achilles injury, you usually don't see a guy come back that quick and, and have that, that burst that he had. And you brought up Kobe White. Now, one thing that did kind of concern me a little bit was Kobe White on the defensive end. Although in Game 2, he did pick up his... Play a little bit and did get a little more aggressive against John Wall. It seemed like as as the second preseason game went on. Are you at all concerned about Kobe's defense going into this season? You know, with a lot of these skilled, fast point guards in the Eastern Conference and around the league.
1: Sure, I mean I'm concerned with the whole team's defense. It's not like a That's defensive uh, set of point. guys that we really have here. Uh, you know, and I think Kobe, he tries hard. He's a decent athlete, maybe a little bit above average. He's not a, an elite athlete by any stretch, but he's a decent athlete. He tries hard, a little bit on short on the short arms, so he doesn't quite get into the passing lanes quite as much. Can't be quite as disruptive as maybe some other guys, but I, I think he'll be fine. You know, he's a pretty smart player, I think. And I think the lapses in defense early on are because the scheme that they're playing is just radically different than what they were playing last year you know they're blitzing everything last year now they're they're fading back on everything they're they're being very passive in comparison they're not you know doubling the ball handler you know they're they're just playing defense totally different and so it doesn't surprise me that guys are struggling a little bit you know just at the beginning to pick up the the new tendencies you know a lot of this is just you need that thought to be completely automatic and they definitely don't have that drilled in yet so i'm not i wouldn't say i'm concerned about kobe at least you know not compared to some of the other you know, holes we have on defense, I'd be more concerned about Lowry, I'm probably more concerned about Zach. I think Kobe will be fine.
0: You know, you, you bring up just some of the changes going on here. And of course, one of the biggest is having Billy Donovan as your head coach. And I don't want to make this, because I feel like this is going to be a storyline that's indirectly brought up every, every time there's a, a game comparing Jim Boylan to, to Billy Donovan. But I have noticed one I mean, distinct difference other than demeanor. And you kind of see him coaching up guys. And there's a distinct example. Game one, I saw him pull aside Daniel Gafford after a a substitution. And he was just kind of coaching him up on some of the things he he messed up on defensively. And it wasn't like he was ranting and raving. He literally was just standing there kind of pointing out areas on the court and, and talking him through where he needs to be on the floor. And I feel like that's so understated just because this is a team that is younger, it's a it's a developing team, and that's the kind of coach I think you need for a group like this. Just what are you? What do you think Billy Donovan's impact is going to be on this roster this season?
1: I, I think all of your listeners are about to turn off the show when they hear me say this next like few words. I have a is, feeling I know where you're going. <laughs> I just think it's so overrated. I think coaching mm. is so overrated in the league. It doesn't make that big a difference. Your assistants are the guys doing 90% of the one-on-one work with these guys anyway. I do think Billy Donovan is a better coach than Jim Boylan. I think the players absolutely respect him, and I think that was probably the biggest thing. If the players actually respected Jim Boylan, then I think he probably would have been okay. Like, but it's like once you don't have the locker room and you lose the locker room and the players think you're a doofus, and the same thing happened with Vinny Del Negro. It's over. And that, that clearly happened with Boylan. So, like, he had to go. I'm not at all saying we need to keep him, but, like, don't, don't think like all these guys are going to become super great because Donovan was here and wouldn't have been otherwise. Um, you know, I just, I just don't think that is really going to be the case. You know, I hope he, he does stuff to make them better. I hope we have a better staff. But you know, some of the things, like, schematically, analytically, his offense is not as analytically sound as what Boylan was doing. We're going to take less threes, he's more mid range. Uh, defensively, we were 12th in defensive efficiency last year. You think we're going to match that number this year? I think probably not. Like, eh, I don't know. Though the, the Thunder were seventh. So, you know, Donovan can obviously coach some defense too and differences in personnel make that up. But I, I think I think that the respect they have for him is probably going to be the biggest thing. But, I, I mean, I think Boylan tried to teach these guys too. It's like people somehow demonize this guy. It's like if he was there and he was like you or I and knew, knows nothing about basketball and just – you know, it's just telling them to run laps or something like I just I just don't think that was the case, really. And, you know, people just tend to overstate how bad things are when things are bad and and put too much hope on the new things coming in. And so I
0: think it's an upgrade, but I don't think it's going to be like 10 games or anything. Well, let me try to hook listeners back in a little bit. So, <laughs> um, back. so, you know, what's interesting, though, because you, you brought up Vinny Del Negro being a doofus, and I think there's a difference between Vinny Del Negro level doofus and Jim Boylan level doofus. I think Vinny's a nice guy doofus. You know, like, at least the players thought, okay, Vinny's a nice guy. We can kind of, you know, grab a beer with him. I think Jim kind of had the the bit of the prickly personality early. It seemed like he got better as time went on in terms of just being, like, a, a normal dude with the guys in the locker room, but I think it was so tainted early on that it almost could never be rectified. So I think... Like, I get the idea of bringing a new voice in the room, but I usually kind of side with you, Doug, where I think the horses matter, the guys on the floor matter the most because talent prevails in the NBA. Um, I just feel like with a young roster, though, you do have to have somebody with a core competency, and I think sometimes Jim Boylan's handling of minutes, rotations, were a little questionable at times. So, like, that's where I would kind of disagree a little bit is I think – Billy might be able to have a better handle on what to do with this roster in terms of staggering minutes and getting guys in positions of strength, and that's why you might see maybe more of a emphasis on the mid range and and not so much on the anal- analytics of taking threes all the time. I guess that would be my only counter to what you're saying, but I I mean what you're saying is fair. Yeah, we'll see. You know, like I think I think the new voice is still big. Like mm-hmm. it, it, no
1: one liked Boylan, and that's enough reason to get rid of Boylan. Um, and, and I do think the, the roster has potential to do a lot better. I mean, there were other problems last year besides Boylan. I think fans love to blame, whether it be the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, whatever. Fans love to pick a scapegoat and throw everything on them when things are really bad. And the bull scapegoat was Jim Boylan, and maybe to a lesser extent, Gar Pax. Uh, people don't want to actually face up to the fact that there's a pretty good chance our players are just pretty lousy and we're going to need to replace almost everyone on this roster. I've I've said on my show, I think within two years, you're going to see almost every single person on this roster is going to be off this roster. I Hmm. I don't think there's a lot of keepers here. So uh, maybe Zach Levine, uh, depending, I think could be one. And I think they're going to use this year to find out who they think the keepers are. But I think almost everyone on this roster is going to go.
0: Are you a big fan of Wendell Carter?
1: Uh, I was a fan of him at the draft. Uh, I think he's had very limited opportunity to, to improve. This is actually the first offseason he was even healthy to get to work on his game. And I've kind of said I think there's a chance he could be a lot better this year just because he's not had a lot of time. But if you don't see it in the first two months, then it's time to cut bait. <laughs> like you got to see it right away because he's had like now nine months to work on his game. And if he doesn't come in like, you know, in great shape and doing a lot better, then that's, that's probably a really negative sign. I think you, you got to see it pretty soon with him if you're going to. And I, you know, I was a fan coming in, and I was was pretty confident. You know, midway through his rookie year, I was confident going into his sophomore year, kind of like a little bit what I saw, but not everything. And you know, it's it's time for him to put up or shut up. And you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm not that confident now. i let's say maybe fifty fifty, but I think there's a pretty good chance he's just a guy. You know, like I think he'll have a career in the NBA. I don't think he's going to be like guy who's cut or anything. But is he an above
0: mid level exception guy? I, I mean, I think that's up for debate. To me, this roster, when I look at that core four, so again, that's Zach, Laurie, Wendell, Kobe, I feel like at their full ceilings, absolute best case scenarios, I kind of see them all as like number threes, number fours on your roster. You know what I mean? Like I would never see them as, as full, any of them as full blown alphas. I wouldn't see any of them really as even like a really strong number two on a championship level team, but I feel like they they might be like really good number threes. Now, if all of them play at their level of potential, like is that enough to get you into a position where you are a solid bottom end of the Eastern Conference playoff team where you could maybe sway some free agents or force trades and things like that to happen? I don't know. Like that's why I'm really intrigued by this season because I feel like it's a season of evaluation. We can kind of – Get some answers to these questions.
1: I don't think that's so off. I mean, it it depends. Like if we're talking absolute ceiling, like there's always some level of reasonability when we say absolute ceiling, right? So we're we're not saying like the absolute perfect thing that could ever happen because maybe in some weird, perfect world, Zach Levine could become a 60% three point shooter off from half court or something, you know, ridiculously stupid. So (laughs) ignoring like the completely, completely unlikely stuff, right? I think Zach Levine and Kobe White maybe could be number twos. You know, it doesn't take much to say in this league to be a great number two, you need to be an amazing shooter. Mm -hmm. And when I look at Zach Levine, I look at Kobe White. I'm like, yeah, they could be amazing shooters. And Zach Levine is a pretty great shooter now. Kobe White looked really good at the end of the year. And the type of shots they take, the difficulty of them is very high. Like these guys will take step back threes. They'll take sidestep threes. They take threes in isolation. So it's not like they're just taking, you know, corner threes and kick out threes like Lowry Markinen is. Like they're generating offense like James Harden. Now they're not as good as James Harden, but like it's not like unforeseeable for me that that could happen. I think it's very unlikely, but like if they absolute peak, I could see either of them having a game like that. And that's kind of a weird thing about today's NBA, which is so three-point focused that it's almost like anyone who can become a great shooter, which is not so crazy to imagine, can now be like a legitimate great player in this league, which I don't think was necessarily true in the same way people weren't running offense like that, you know, like 10 years ago. And so I think that's a little bit different. So I I could maybe see either of them as number 2, but yeah, it's hard for me to go above that. Lowry and Wendell, I don't even think number threes, to be honest with you. I mean, like, what mm-hmm. does Wendell do well right now? Like, you'd have to see him just develop so much, so much for things to change. And, and Lowry, it's like, even, you know, in his best scenario, what does he do for you? He shoots threes, except people say he's really actually better off the dribble, but he doesn't create off the dribble. He only attacks closeouts. And defensively, he's just a train wreck. So, like, I, like, I don't see that defensive part changing. And... I, you know, I just I just don't know how he's gonna like kill matchups for you, like he's he's like Luol Dang at his best to me, uh, mm. you know, not not exact comparable, but a guy who just like someone else has to do all the work to get him a shot and then he can shoot it, and uh, yeah, I just don't know how useful that is because he doesn't have Luol Dang's defense. You know, if he had that, then it that'd be something, but he doesn't, and so, you know, I I think for sure I would move on probably from Lowry unless something amazing happens. I, if I had a good offer for Wendell Carter right now, I'd probably take it as but you know we'll see what happens i'm intrigued by the season you know guys can prove me wrong i'm a basketball idiot plenty of times but i i i'm not uh am not that excited about this group uh, I, th- I think yeah they could maybe compete for the eighth seed i don't think that's so hard in the east you know if things go well and guys are healthy but i i don't see like a lot of ceiling or upside
0: hmm it, interesting because like I, I was about to ask you um what player you're really excited to watch this year, but now you just pissed in my cornflakes. So I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I,
1: I want to see Zach and Kobe. like i'm yeah. I'm, I'm actually excited for both those guys because you know what? like Zach to me is just like a couple of things away from actually being an all- star and in mm-hmm. being like you know, like a low ed number one, probably not a championship number one, probably a championship number two. But he's like a couple like mental decisions and like better focus on defense away. Uh, from from making that kind of leap and i don't think he's going to get there because i think even though it's like oh you only have to be better like three decisions a game like the the amount of things you need to be able to do better for that to happen is actually very very large so i I think it probably isn't the leap he's going to be able to make especially given the amount of minutes he's already played but if you just imagine like zach levine with two less turnovers a game and like one more assist and he's like a, a near superstar level player and you know it's like the gap would really be like that kind of small it's just for that to happen it, it would would actually take a pretty significant leap, and then probably just needs to be a little bit better on help defense. One thing I'd actually be interested to see and I doubt we'll we'll see it is I kind of like Zach as a primary defender if you got a really athletic wing, like I would kind of like Zach defending John Wall against the Rockets instead of Kobe Good. because I think he's got the athleticism to stay with guys. he's just clueless off the ball, so just put him with the athletic guy on the ball where he doesn't have to think and he just has to use as athleticism and stay in front of someone. And I think, you know, he's not going to be a lockdown guy, but I, th- I think you're actually kind of avoiding his biggest weaknesses and then you're taking advantage of like some things that he actually can do a little bit better defensively. Uh, so I would kind of like to see if the Bulls try that. And maybe we try it for two games and I'd be like, nope, that was completely the wrong thing to do. We just got annihilated. But I-, I have like some hope that you might actually see him play
0: pretty well in that scenario. That's not actually a really bad idea. Like that, that would actually mask his worst trait as a defender because you're 100% right it he's not a guy who plays ole defense on the ball he plays pretty hard when he's on the ball all of his lapses come when he's playing off ball so I mean that would be one way to sort of thwart that issue and you would be getting him you know going head-to-head against some of these these speedier point guards in the league so I mean you know Doug it's it's not a bad idea maybe shoot Billy Donovan an email, see if you get a reply, but talk him up. Don't, don't knock him like you did on this
1: podcast.
0: (laughs) endear um, yourself to him. I I think
1: Billy Donovan, if you spoke with him for like 10 minutes, and I've not spoken with Billy Donovan, but I think if you did speak with him for like 10 minutes, you'd like fall in love with him immediately. Like he strikes me as one of those guys who would be like your best friend. Like we all know people like that, right? Like you just meet them and immediately everyone wants to talk with him and wants to be around them. Like Donovan strikes me as one of those guys who just, the second you, you you speak with him, you're friends with him. Uh, I've interviewed like most of the Bulls. Actually, Donovan will be the first Bulls coach I've not interviewed uh, since I don't know whoever was before. Was it who was before uh, Dil Negro? Scott Skiles. No, I interviewed him. So I guess we'll be going back to Tim Floyd. I've interviewed every Bulls coach, and. Um, Donovan, I would love to get a chance to, but he's, he'll be probably the first. I won't get a chance to interview, but it's, I mean, it's interesting. Each of these different guys have very, very different personalities. And when you interview them, you really get a feel for like, yeah, it's, it's gotta be completely wild when your boss changes from someone like Del Negro to something like Thibodeau. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine like in a workplace, like going from like that extreme, because these were two extremely different people and, uh, you know, or, or going from, from Skiles to Del Negro. You know, or or Thibodeau to Hoiberg, like I mean, like that just be like just such a weird culture shift to to go through, uh, in this in this type of industry. And I guess yeah, I mean, I guess you do that all the time. It's it's very weird when you think about the lives these players live on a personal level. Like even just changing teams, because like half the league changes teams every year, you know, and mm-hmm. moving to a different city and meeting all new players and teammates they have to work with so closely, and you know all that kind of stuff. It's 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 kind of interesting. But Donovan strikes me as probably without having met him yet, probably the guy. You would immediately like the most out of any Bulls coach they've had, uh, you know, in forever since maybe Phil Jackson.
0: Well, I think his element is that he is definitely a people person. He doesn't mind if, if you're a media guy. He seems like the type of dude that would shoot the shit with you and tell you stories about his experience around the league. Definitely talk the X's and O's with you. He seems like people person and a basketball junkie, so I could totally see that. And honestly, when I heard him in the press conference, like. I was enamored with him from the beginning. And honestly, if, if he pooped on my doorstep right now, I'd have no problem. Like, I'd be like, Hey, I deserve that ding dong ditch, Billy. That's cool. You know, <laughs> Sorry. That's you it. know, Billy's won me over, Doug. I'm just saying it's, like, that's it's a, little no it's a little off topic, but I'll say
1: like, it's interesting of all the guys like Tom Thibodeau, if you knew your stuff about basketball, mm. he would talk to you about basketball forever. Like wow. He did not really want to talk about, kind of like general media stuff about like this guy's going to play these minutes or this guy's going to do that or like, like, whatever. Like if you came with like, kind of like agenda driven questions, but if you asked him, like, what do you think about doing this on a pick and roll versus this? And you asked him like some kind of like technical basketball question, the dude would not stop talking for like 25 minutes. Like he was like immediately like asking like a chess master their, their uh, view on the Sicilian opening or something. Like, it's just like, He just like went off forever. Uh, and I thought, like, I thought that was really cool. I'm like, man, I don't know anywhere near enough to talk with this guy, but I really wish I did. Like, I need to go read some books and come back because he would, he would give you all the time in the world if you genuinely wanted to learn about like basketball strategy. And I, I thought that was kind of neat because he came off like very gruff, like sometimes at, mm-hmm. and other times. But like, but yeah, if you, if you want to talk basketball strategy, he would have all day for you. Um, so anyway, that was just my, my experience. The couple of times I got to interview tips.
0: Very interesting. Cause like I've heard that about fibs too. Like he really, like if you start asking him X's and O's questions, I've heard from like people that have, have also covered him, and you know, heard, I've heard stories from, from even the people on ESPN who, who worked with him when he was an analyst there that he will spend hours talking with you about about basketball you know the only time I ran into to Tom Thibodeau Doug uh, I was coming home from work I was trying to hop the train and I see him walking down State Street and I decided oh my god I gotta follow him and we stop at a at a you know crosswalk and we're, we're waiting to cross and I, I figured let me let me introduce myself like this is my only chance to, to do something like this so I'm like uh, excuse me sir are you are you tom thibodeau and he just looked at me looked up from his phone he just kind of like half rolled his eyes and he went yes i am (laughs) and i'm like well i just want to say i'm a huge bulls fan and i think he had a really good year coaching this was uh just after the 2014 season and he's like oh thank you and i said by the way you got robbed for coach of the year you should have won it and he let out this loud belly laugh like right there at the stop sign or right at the stoplight and as I was just walking away from, he's like, "Appreciate it, young man." So that's that's, <laughs> that's my, my only Thibs. story. Well, it's yeah. I mean, I could have told it better, but the thing with Fibs, like, he just seems like a pretty cool guy, though. Too, like, I could see him also being like a, a fun, down to earth guy. A lot of the players that play for him like him, so he definitely has that that gruff appearance. And I think it's just because he's so like he's just a a pure basketball junkie. I'm actually. I want to ask you real quick. What was it like interviewing Vinny Del Negro? Was there just absolutely nothing there? I guess,
1: So I told this story once when I was interviewing him. It was like he either just had no idea what you were talking about or he just didn't care what you were talking about or he just wanted you to go away like it's just like he picked up on like one word in your question and then would just go off on that without actually taking the moment to understand your question or care about it like like avani are we going to run a lot of pick and roll and be like i like rolls i rolls for breakfast yeah (laughs) next question you know it's just like like what what just happened here uh so i like i'm sure he was a very smart basketball person uh you know people people like i said they, they tend to like overstate things so I'm sure he was a smart basketball person. I know he was a commentator for a while and, and probably people who've listened to him. I I, I didn't uh, said he was very good and sounded very knowledgeable and he got the job. So I'm sure he's he's not a complete buffoon, but he definitely did not have the respect of the players. And he definitely from a media perspective did not come off as someone who was like a, a very great basketball guy, you know, and, and that was probably just how he chose to answer questions and whatever. I'm, joe random blogger that he's never going to see again so what does he care he just wants to get on with his day you know i'm interviewing him at summer league or whatever like he, he doesn't want to talk to me so you know you you par- partially like understand those things too like i he interviewed cj watson once and he was mm. like super super mean to me and i i realized though i started asking him questions the reporter before me just like peppered him with a bunch of questions about uh, him dating Floyd Mayweather's girlfriend or whatever it was oh that happened back then. <laughs> and I'm like, I followed that and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to hold this against CJ Watson. Like, <laughs> like oh God. annoyed, but it's like, this is just bad timing. So, you know, like I don't, I'm not a day in and day out guy ever with these guys. Like I only have a few opportunities probably with any of them. And so, you know, you don't, you don't take things too seriously, but Vinny definitely did not come off as, as like a, a basketball brilliant guy. Uh Skiles definitely did, but Skiles scared the hell out of me. Like I just I was scared to like talk with him. I've never met someone who seemed like more intimidating than Scott Skiles. Like I can't even imagine the story when they brought like Tyrus and Aldridge and like Skiles had a stare down with them. Like I like having like tried to talk with Skiles before, I could totally see that. I would I would just have crapped my pants. Like I would have they would have never picked me in the draft if I was. If I was that guy like he was, he was he was just like super intimidating, but very smart when you when you talked with him and uh got him got him going i i i'd liked to uh, I liked him too, but yeah, it's uh yeah, I guess I answered that one no more <laughs> I don't know if we need to go that deep
0: into the well uh listeners turning off again i think I think listeners love this, especially the ones that are kind of close to our age that have been paying attention to bulls basketball for the last ten fifteen years, I and mean, even more than that like you know, some of these stories about Skiles and Del Negro, like I I could listen to them all day. But I do want to get into some other parts of our preview here today. And I wanted to do some predictions, some over unders. So are you, are you game to do that, Doug? I love over unders. Over
1: under on how many
0: I get right? 50%? Hey, look, I mean, you you admitted to being basketball stupid occasionally. So I think, you know, if, if you, I say push, I'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right, let's get started. Just for our listeners here, I'm going to throw out some, some numbers, stats, win totals, things like that. Doug, you're going to tell me if that number is over or under in 2021, okay? All right. All right, so I'm going to start with Zach Levine points per game. And I've put the line at 25.5. Are you going to go over or under? I'm
1: going to go under. Okay. I, th- I think there's going to be more uh, equal opportunity offense this year.
0: I think that's a solid bet, too. Like, I, I would definitely do the under. So, 25.5 is what he averaged last year. And I'm, I'm with you. I kind of see more distribution. I don't know. I, I think, like, a number, like, I think he's going to be averaging close to 23 points a game this year. I think somewhere around there. That seems about right, right to me as well. All right, look at that, we're in agreement, that's great. Zach Levine, three point percentage, 36 and percent, over, under. I will take the over. Okay, so why are you going with the over on on his three point shooting this year? Any rhyme or reason? Just
1: a gorgeous three point shooter overall, great stroke, and I think to the extent he's not gonna hit that because he's taking a lot more bailouts and he's taking a lot more shots, and you know, to our previous point, I think he's going to take less shots. I think he's not going to be forced to just play iso ball and and take a lot of the very difficult threes. So I think with the decreased volume will come increased efficiency.
0: Hmm. All right. Um, Kobe White. I I, I wanted to throw this out here because a lot of people, they're kind of curious what he's going to do as a primary ball handler. So assists, I put it at four and a half. You going over or under four and a half assists for Kobe White this year?
1: I think that's a tricky one because it really depends a lot on where his role ends up, right? Like if he Mm -hmm. oops, the starting point guard role, it's going to be over pretty easily. Uh, I mean, I think if you're the starting point guard, you probably average close to six in your sleep. Um, And yeah, I don't think Kobe will do a whole lot more than that, but if he ends up being more of a combo guard, it'd be probably the under, but I will take the over because I just don't see what other options we have at point guard. Even if it's not going well, I think he'll still stick there as the primary point guard pretty much all season.
0: You know what? I realized I did not tell you about Zach Levine three point percentage. I'm going to real quick. Let me go back to that. I'm going to say over as well. I do think that this could be a year where he does break out from behind the line. So I'm going to go over 36 and percent on the Kobe White assists. Uh, I'm going to say under under because I have a I just have this sneaking suspicion he could end up bouncing in and out of the starting lineup. So I, that brings us to the next one here. Kobe White starts. I put it at 45. Now, remember, this is a 72-game schedule. So I put it at 45. Are you going over or under 45 starts for Kobe White? I will take the over. Okay. So you think he maintains that role at, at starting point guard? Yeah, I think so.
1: I, I think at the point in his career, they just they're going to start him. And he looks to me like the Bulls' second best player right now, so you're just going to start him. Like you don't you don't bench him after you started him if he's your second best player. You know maybe you can get away with that when he's not starting yet, but if he's your second best player, you're not going to start him for 30 games and say, ah, maybe we should move him to the bench and put Ceteranski in here instead. I, I, I don't see that's going to happen. I mean he could get hurt and then then obviously will be the under, but you know no sense really predicting injuries.
0: So this is kind of interesting, and I'm not knocking Kobe White by saying this, but I have a feeling the start of the season is going to be a little tricky. You know, just kind of getting used to the flow of the offense a little more, and I actually have that as under. I think it's going to be under 45 starts because I think we're going to see some Tomas Zadoransky being shuffled into the lineup early. I think Kobe's going to hit his stride later in the season, so might be kind of gelling a little bit more with that second unit as the combo guard. But finishing a lot of games with the first unit, and, and maybe he does find his good graces back into the starting lineup. But I don't know. I just have this feeling. It, it's more of a gut feeling. I'm not going to say it's anything other than that. I just I always look at it like this. With when you got a guy that you know hasn't been in that position before as a primary ball handler in the NBA, you just got to wonder like, will it take time for him to get settled on the offensive end? And we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Tomas Saturanski starts. So now this doesn't necessarily mean he's got to come in as the starting point guard he technically could come in if Otto porter gets hurt or maybe they want to shuffle some things up they put tomas sadaranski in um i have it set at 25 you go going over or under 25 starts for tomas sadaranski
1: i'll take the under and i want to add one more thing if you don't mind about kobe white starts sure i think one of the key things this year is you have to find out if zach and kobe can play together and so I think you're just going to give that as much time as you need to to figure that out. Like, I think this season is not necessarily about winning as much as we hope they win and do well. There's key things you need to answer about this roster going forward, and Zach and Kobe as a duo is one of those things. So I think they're going to keep those two together starting. So that's that's another part of my, my rationale there is just, just to see what happens. Even if it's not going well, they're going to see if they can play through it.
0: I'm going to go the over on the 25 because I also am going to factor in the the point that I brought up too. You never know what could happen injuries, maybe shuffling him in at like the two or three, do some things with matchups too. You never know. So I'll go over 25. Laurie Markkinen points per game. I got it at 17 and a half going over or under.
1: I will take the under. Uh, I mean, just from our earlier conversations, you can tell I'm not a huge believer in Laurie. I think especially with Zach and Kobe both starting, there's not going to be as many shots for him. I, I don't think he's, He's going to go over 17 and a half.
0: So this is kind of funny. Like, I, I know I helped set these over-unders. You know, I, I looked at, like, Vegas odds and just based on averages. I'm going to go a push. And I know that's, like, a, an easy way to sell out here. But I, I'll say he hits the market, like, right at 17 and a half. I just, I, and I know that's ridiculous because it's a game of over-unders. But I feel like 17 and a half is a really solid enough number of, of how many points he could score this season. Laurie Markkinen, in three point percentage. And I put it at thirty-four and a half. Are you going over or under?
1: Well, and I think you have to take the the over on that, right?
0: I, I would say yes. Now he he did kind of have a weird, inconsistent year last year from three point line. But yeah, I would I would say you gotta go the, the over, but I guess it depends. Do you think he could be in for another weird slump this year?
1: Well, I mean, he's thirty-five point six percent for his career. The one year he was below that, he was 34.4%. So I mean, he's got to improve by one tenth of a percentage point from last year to, to hit the over. I, I just, I, I think he's got that that in the bag again. Similar to Zach, I think he's gonna not be forced to take some of the the shots he was missing before. I, yeah, I, it'd be super disappointing if it's the under. I won't necessarily be disappointed if he's under 17 and a half points. Like if he averages 15 very efficient points, I'd be completely content with that. But if his three-point percentage is under 35%, I'll be disappointed. I, I want to see him up at 37 38%. Uh, I don't know. That might be asking a bit much, but I I don't see why that can't happen, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I, I got the over two on that. So I think he'll be closer to 35 36 this year. Laurie Markkinen field goal percentage. So now factoring in his three-point field goal percentage plus what he scores from two-point. Uh, I got the line at 43%. You going over or under on that? right exactly at the career average huh yeah i,
1: I have the page up now because i'm checking out you know the three point percentages, trying to get ahead uh i go. will i will probably oh i'm gonna take i'm gonna take the over because it mm-hmm. feels like in this offense he's maybe gonna shoot less threes and with more twos he should have a higher overall field goal percentage so I think it's the, the shot mix, I think, is going to be a little different for him this year. And that's why I think I'll take the over.
0: So that's also my rationale, too, for it being the over. Now, that would—so I, I so I'm going over. But that's interesting for you because I know you had the point-per-game production down, but you're thinking much more efficient because he's maybe taking less shots.
1: I don't know if he'll be much more efficient. I mean, like, I think his three-point percentage will be up a little bit. I think his— Field goal percentage will be up, but I don't know that his two-point percentage will necessarily be up. It's just he'll take more twos, which raises field goal percentage. If you think about from a true shooting percentage, that doesn't necessarily equate to an overall more efficient player. I do think he'll probably be more efficient. I mean, he played with a lot of nagging injuries last year, and the team was somewhat dysfunctional this year, and hopefully he'll he'll be in a better spot. But I think his overall numbers will just be down because I think Kobe White is just going to be a consistent, large piece of this offense uh, compared to last season he's going to start cannibalizing shots of other guys who were getting lots of shots
0: okay so this one <laughs> this one's an interesting one um and a lot of people are making a lot of conversation about this so Wendell Carter three-point percentage now I went with twenty eight and a half because I'm being nice and saying he might improve as the preseason goes on and he might get a little more in rhythm maybe not take as many but I- I'm curious what you got to say Twenty-eight and a half percent. You going over or severely under?
1: It feels like a bad joke at this point, right <laughs> He's one for nine, and we mocked him for two uh, preseason games. But I'll I'll still take the over. I mean, twenty-eight and a half percent is just criminally bad. I shoot better than twenty-eight and a half percent from the NBA three-point line, like, and he's not going to be taking contested ones. So, uh, I I I think he can hit the over. And if he doesn't, he sure is not going to shoot them for very long. You know, I don't I don't think he needs to hit. 38% to, to shoot that shot. But if he's not over 30%, it, it's going to be a quick hook for him, him taking threes, which is, is definitely a possibility. You know, To me, this is just a toss-up. I think if he took them all season, I think he'd settle in around 30%. But if he starts off really poor, they may just just say, don't do that anymore and, and not give him a chance to redeem himself.
0: I, I got the over. I think he'll be around like 31%. That that That's my guess. And it's probably just because like, he's not going to be shooting, I think, five in a game. It might be like kind of a sweet spot where he's taking like two to three game, but I just um, feel like
1: anyone can shoot 30% from the three point line. Like I just feel like that's such a low bar, like for an NBA player. Like I just feel like anyone can do that. If they're just taking open threes, like I feel like like I watched Ben Wallace once shoot about 20 threes from the corner in practice and he hit like 66% of them. And so I tell this story to show that like even a guy who's known as a God awful shooter, if he's sitting there just taking the same shot and rhythm all the time, he can like knock down like a pretty good percentage of them. It's just that's not how a game works. Uh, but mm-hmm. I just feel like any pretty much any NBA player can can average like that many. If you have any form on your jumper at all, you can hit like thirty percent. And I, I think Carter has decent form on his jumper, so I, I think given enough opportunity, as long as he's only taking open ones, he should be able to hit that that number.
0: So I have seen a lot of different betting lines different prognosticators putting this bulls line for the win total this year at anywhere from like 27 to 31 and the number i decided to go with here is 28 and a half for win total are you going over or under that now bear in mind 72 game schedule so what are you going with do we have to go over 28 and a half if say like 10
1: games get canceled there's only 62. Are we going to prorate this at like a percentage of 28 and a half out of 72 and a half or 72? Uh,
0: you know, because this podcast is so low on the totem pole, I doubt people are going to remember. So <laughs> um, if we go I prorate mean, it on
1: a percentage basis, let's, 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 I don't want to get into like whether or not COVID as a factor. because I don't think that's really what you're trying to ask. Yeah, I'm trying to ask like, yeah, how good the team is. Uh, if, if you do the percentage, uh, that equates out to I had to do the math real quick. 32 and a half games uh on a regular 82 season because i I, just trying to figure that out 72 is too difficult for my tiny brain and when i look at 32 and a half i feel like man i think we should be over that it feels very close though but i think we should be over that these injuries always scare me because if but i just i feel like we were better than that last year and we were just hurt too much and i feel like the team should be better this year than last year and you get a lot of young guys who are just improving and getting better still uh, you have a coach that they believe in instead of one they hate. Like, I think there's just enough there that if you don't have horrific injuries, that over should be a pretty good bet off that number. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I got the over, too. And I, I do think the the sweet spot for me, the number that keeps playing in my head is 33. So I, I think that's what they're going to end up this year. And if they get through all 72 games, I got them somewhere at around 33 wins. And do you know why I have them there, Doug? Why do you got 33? Scotty Pippen? Reference? No, no, no. Well, I mean, it's a beautiful number for that reason, yes. But it's uh, it's the Billy Donovan factor. You know, it's it's all Billy. Billy's getting them thirty three wins. I'm also I... trying to piss you off. A little. <laughs> ah, I don't mind. You know, like I, it, it's
1: I don't believe head coaches make a big difference unless someone is criminally bad. And well, I don't think that Boylan was probably criminally bad. It's not crazy to make the case that he was like if if it turned out that he was just criminally bad or that it was just even if he wasn't so bad but the relationship was just that dysfunctional like that wouldn't totally shock me so i'm i maybe i could get sold on it not as much as everyone else but i i don't think it's nuts like i don't think it's a nuts theory but i think health would be a bigger factor
0: Here's what will prove that theory right. If you totally see these players playing out of their skis this season, and let's say they do get to that, let's say they they get over 500 and they're like at that 38-39 win total and you see them as a viable low playoff team, I mean, that might tell you like, okay, maybe maybe he was criminally bad and all these players came together and, and you could point to tangible ways that Billy Donovan almost schemed them into winning. I think that would be sort of like a way to to kind of prove that point that Jim Boylan was, was criminally bad. I mean, I'm in the camp that, yeah, he was criminally bad, but um, I I don't want to get too, too much into revisionist history with Jim. I feel like if you've listened to this podcast, I've done 60-plus episodes and probably 48 of them I've – Spent plenty of time bashing Jim Boylan, so I don't know if I want to keep, keep doing. <laughs> let, it to... let it go,
1: let it go. Free your soul. Just uh, preach at the church of uh, Billy Donovan and be happy that he's here. And we should never speak at name, his name again of uh, of that other guy. I yeah, yeah. I regardless of of how that works out, I I'm intrigued by this season. My biggest mm-hmm. concerns are that Lowry and Wendell are just guys. Like we thought there were maybe guys who could be really good, but they're not like, I've just not seen enough from these guys. And I don't believe in those, those two guys right now. Now they could change my mind. Uh, we've seen some stuff from them in the past that suggests that they, they really could be very good players. Uh, but I I don't have the faith in those two guys. And I think that is what's going to stop us from being a much better team. I, I have considerable more faith in Zach and, uh, Kobe doing what they need to do on their, their parts of things.
0: Mark Karen Kerenzouis would uh, like a word with you for knocking his guy Wendell Carter so much for just being a guy.
1: Well, Mark, Mark and I like, talked about him on, on my show and we both were like really excited but man after seeing the start of this it was like I'm like really we need to see Wendell in this position and see what he can do and they used him exactly like Mark and I both wanted to see and it was a disaster. Like, I don't know that it could have been a bigger disaster. Than mm. than it was like I mean it was like the worst now that's okay it's two preseason games they still learn the offense they haven't a lot of time to play uh, so I'm not completely off the bandwagon yet but I'm really nervous now like I'm really nervous now so I I hope that you know in two months uh, Wendell proves me wrong and he proves me he proves me of a year ago correct and me of today wrong uh, because a year ago I thought this is exactly how he needed to use him and he would be much better. Uh, but you have to kind of you know start getting nervous when you see facts presented to you and you you see them tried that way and it not go so well. Now,
0: like I said early, but uh, now I'm a little nervous. Well, and, and that's the the one thing. Like if if he does catch his rhythm in these last two preseason games and maybe early in the in the regular season, it definitely I think would would change the narrative and and ease a lot of people's minds. I, real quick, so with us kind of at that over twenty eight and a half, do you think that? they'll be in that playoff discussion somewhere in that seven to ten range. Cause remember, there is a play in tournament for being part of the postseason or being within playoff contention. Do you think they'll be within that seven to ten range this year? I think they have an excellent, excellent chance to to hit ten. Uh you
1: mm-hmm. know, you start trying to figure out who's worse than them and it's like, well the Knicks you feel are probably worse. Uh the Cavs you feel are probably worse. The Pistons you feel are probably worse. And then you start getting to the teams that are more questionable. The Magic, uh, the Hornets, uh, the Wizards. Uh, and, and the Wizards I would have had clearly worse until they traded for Russell Westbrook. And now I don't know what to think of yeah. that team. So I'm not a big believer in Russell Westbrook, but it's not like he's been leading teams to you know 25 win totals in the West. So I don't know why he'd do that in, in the East. Um, seems like a guy that can probably make sure you get to right around 50%, 50% of your games won and not a whole lot more. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's going to be tough. You're going to have to beat a few of those teams, Atlanta, obviously, um, another team people are expecting to make a leap because people like Trey young more than they like our young guys. But I, I think there's a good chance you could beat Atlanta. I think there's a good chance you can beat Charlotte. I think there's you know chance you can beat any of those teams. And there's also a very good chance. Any of those teams could beat us. Like, like I doubt any of those teams fans are sitting there going, man, but the Chicago Bulls are going to be in our way. Like, you know, that's not happening either. So you kind of got that grouping of teams, which I think is like the eight through 15 teams. And of those, there's like maybe three that I think are clearly worse than Chicago. And then there's like maybe four that are about the same ish uh, with a lot of questions that they have to answer as
0: well. And so how the Bulls do compared to that group uh, will determine whether they're in the playoff hunt. Before I spring you loose, Doug, uh, where can the people find your podcast? I, I mean, I guess if you search, search the Bulls Beat or the Big Red Bus, which I do with Fred Pfeiffer,
1: uh, those should be up on any of the major uh, podcast things. I'm Doug underscore Tonus on Twitter, and I have a pretty big presence on the Real GM message form if you're into that type of thing.
0: That Now, that brings back memories when you say that. And I think of all the people that were on that thread back in the day, and, and now they're they're all within that podcasting and blogging realm. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, it it is funny. I think there's got to be, you know, Mark's podcast is from there. Uh, bulls gold is from there. Um, trying to think of like, there's at least a couple more. Um, there's one called let's talk that was from there. Uh, Yeah. yeah, We we got a, we got a grouping of them for sure. And and the number that have like started and stopped over, over the years, you know, it, it, it's funny when the team's going well, it's a lot easier to keep it going when the team is, is oh, yeah. like lousy and you get like 20 listeners a show then <laughs> it sometimes feels like, what am I doing it for?
0: Well, you know what, Doug, it was really a pleasure having you on to just preview this upcoming season, even just reminisce over some old bull stories and, and your times doing the podcasting and, and blogging. So appreciate it. And would love to have you on again in the near future.
1: That sounds awesome. Thank you for having me. And, uh, would love to join. Anytime.
0: Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.